Hello, and welcome to Live and Let's Discuss, a 007 podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Noah. That, that only took two hours to get your name. <laughs> All right, let's 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 do this. I've had a Red Bull because it's only 8 o'clock here. Yeah. Too early in the morning for me. Too late in the night for me because I'm an elderly man. Uh, we're talking about, honestly, my favorite Sean Connery Bond film, which is From Russia with Love. Yes. We'll, we'll also be bringing up uh, the Ian Fleming novel of the same title, his si- fifth uh, Bond novel, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, is the fifth one. Yes. Uh, From Russia with Love, uh, the movie starts out with... Spectre planning their revenge on Bond and also doing evil things for the sake of being evil. But the yeah, bo- pretty much. But the book, Schmersch is mad at Bond because he's foiled them three times now and they are planning their revenge on him and uh, making the British government look bad. So I'll let Noah take over from here into uh, comparing and contrasting because he's read this novel more recently than I have. Yes. And I would say, again, like Dr. No, this is still a book adaption. They still take pretty much all the elements. I'm going to say it's a better book adaption. Oh. Just a hair better. Um, From Russia with Love is both is definitely my favorite Connery Bond film. It's definitely in my top five. Um, oh yeah! It's also one of my. F- I think it's my favorite Bond novel. It's oh, be- and it's because over of- Moonraker. Oh, that's true. I actually I like From Russia with Love. It's the first one that really starts having continuity, and they start mm, bringing true. up things from previous books and it's the it's about the build of yeah. uh, in uh in both of these bond doesn't show up in the movie until 20 minutes in and in yes. the book it's like a third of the way through he's finally there mhm and and I just love I love the build and I love that we have this trap and we know what's going on as well as few times where Everything's laid out, and it's not boring in either of these. But we we know that what the trap Bond's getting into is, and how dangerous it is, and we want to root for him to prevail. Agree. And this might surprise you, but this is a case where I would say the movie actually improves on the book in some elements. Yes, I will agree with you. Um, but the book because the so with the movie it's so weird to think about because we've talked about this in the last podcast but the end of from russia with love ties great it, it, it isn't even it doesn't really have an end it just stops and then dr no is what in the first chapter talks about what happens Yes, because the thing is, From Russia with Love was supposed to be the end. Fleming was going to end the series with book five. I did not know that. Yeah, this was supposed to be the big climax. That's why we have this whole plot with Smash as a revenge tying in the first four books. Hmm. Well, that obviously didn't happen. (laughs) Yeah, with the films, I actually think they did it... Okay, so I'm going to say I think... This is pretty much a sequel to Dr. No. Yes. Because not only do they bring him up, but like, really, the whole thing is a revenge for what Bond did to Dr. No. Yes. And they bring back characters like Sylvia Trench, for example, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I would honestly say the marketing back for Quantum of Solace was like complete... Uh, I'm not allowed to swear. <laughs> it, it Garbage. Was, 
A Bunch of Lies. Yeah. This is the first sequel. Yeah, and it's done correctly. Whereas, once again, with the, we, we bag on the Daniel Craig films a lot. And I want to make it clear, it's not Craig's fault that these films are terrible. Or, no. Well, half of them are terrible at this point. Uh, no Time to Die has not been released when this podcast was made. Or if it ever gets released. Yeah. At this point. But two of them that are both like direct sequels to their predecessors are horrendous. Yep. Uh, the, and, and they lie about like all the connections and stuff with, when they uh, market these films and it's, it's very frustrating, but we'll talk more about that in a few years when we get to the Craig films. Yep. But there is to say quantum of solace is a movie you pretty much can only watch if you have seen Casino Royale before. Yeah, and even then you shouldn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> but with from Russia with Love, it works as a sequel, mm-hmm. but also as a standalone. Yes. As it should. Yes. And I I just I just love this book. I love the, I love the book and I love the film. And one of the big things I love about both of them is the setting and how we really start to see Fleming's descriptions of places and peoples. Just fascinating. And Oh, yeah, because most of the film takes place in Istanbul. Yes. And I, I love it. I love the setting of the film. Yeah, it's great, especially with the characters that we have in the setting. Like, you know, Karim Bay, mm-hmm. one of my favorite allies. I think I like him even more than Quarrel in Doctor I, No. Yeah, I was thinking that too. He he has such great charisma. It's it's a shame that there weren't there wasn't like a short story with him that would have been a prequel. But like, oh, that wouldn't nice. have made sense because I think that's the first time Bond meets him, right? In both. yes. Mm-hmm. I know it's the book, um, but he he just has great charisma and is just a great leader, a fascinating leader for his, his like his kids are like his bodyguards and stuff. And that's interesting. Mm-hmm. He's also kind of a ladies man, too. Yeah, which is also fun. We have uh, Bond has. An equal once again, because like Felix Leiter in the first one is kind of bond like cool and bonds equal in that to a certain extent. Um, yeah, but this we have, we have. Uh, I'm trying. I'm blanking his name. I'm sorry. Karim Bay. Karim Bay. Um, I keep wanting to call him Darko because that's his nickname in the book. Oh, that's right, and it's not in the not in the film. Yeah, sadly. Uh, yeah, I, that would have been fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he he does more in this, uh, and like some of the stuff scenes that were like had super tension in the book are done really well in the film, like the sniper scene. Oh yeah, that's taken like directly, and it's a little improved because in the film, Karen Bay is like injured yes. because he got shot. Yes. And in, in the book, not so much. But that that's a cool thing with the gypsies and all that, which that gets uh, brings me up to the title card is vastly improved in this from Dr. No. With the, the whole uh, sequence of dancers. Yeah. It feels more Bond. And honestly, it looks like one of the most complicated ones they ever did because they're literally shining the lights on them and that's the credits like on these dancers. Yeah. That would, I love it. It's so simple. It's basically. so simple, but I, I can imagine how much of a nightmare it was to do. Yeah, that's true. There no, no computers back then for effects, no digital effects. They did that full analog and it's wonderful. Looks great. Yeah. I gotta say, this is probably my favorite title sequence 
Oh, really? What also helps, yeah, what also helps is, like, the fantastic music. Yes, the the music's great. It's not my favorite title sequence. It's my favorite of the 60s ones, I think. But, huh. yeah, we'll get to my favorite uh, in a year. <laughs> uh, because this sequence really sets the tone. There, there's no and, bo- weird Bond face yeah. in there. You know, there's there's no weird CG Bond face on another man's body. Oh, yeah. And there, no octopuses. No octopuses. There's no women in gun in, uh, bullets that are being loaded into a pistol. There's no x-ray vision. There's no women walking on the sickle and hammer. Nope. Only one woman dancing. Yes. Maybe two. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it, it doesn't matter, but it, it's just—it's so simple, and it just—it sets the tone really yep. well. Also, I love in the movie the opening where we think Bond is killed. That's so great. By uh oh gosh, his name's escaping me. Red Grant. Red Grant, which he is freaky in the book. Yes, and I would say. He's also pretty great in this film. Yes, he is. They tone it down because they would have never gotten away with uh, what he's like in the book and kept a PG rating. No, and I mean, they would have to show a lot of his backstory. Yes. But I really like how they, like, made his part bigger. Because in the book, we pretty much get him at the beginning, like, very extensively. And then he comes back at the end on the train and everything. In the movie, we see him throughout the film. Yes, we can all, we can assume in the book that he's been there the whole time. Yeah, but the movie makes it explicit and shows him. Yes, and that adds into the whole paranoia of people following one another in Istanbul. Yeah. Which is just, it's mentioned in the book. Uh, oh, yeah. But I especially love the scene in the gypsy camp when it's attacked. And Red Grant is the one who saves Bond. Yes. That that's a wonderful scene. Also, we get to see how how tough he is in like the simplest way with Rosa Club punching him with brass knuckles in the yeah. stomach. Oh, that makes me cringe every time I see it. Yeah. Oh, did you notice one of the bad guys is uh, the one who goes with Rosa Klepp on the Spectre Island, I think, where they meet Red Grant, is played by the guy, Walter Gotell. Yes, I was... General Gogol. I just noticed that on this watch through. So he was in how many Bond films? A lot of the latter Roger Moore films. So he was in Spy Who Loved Me, yes. Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, View to a Kill, Living Daylights, and From Russia With Love, that's... Seven. Yes. Um, he's horribly dubbed in the beginning. Oh. There is a major audio flub. And it, it, you notice it on uh, the Blu-ray real bad where like his, his mouth his mouth's closed and he's speaking. Oh. I mean, that's an issue with most of the earlier Bond films. Everybody is dubbed. The, the women are always dubbed by the same lady. Well, Nikki yeah. You dub you dub ninety percent of your dialogue in a motion picture film because it's too loud on set. That's a common thing. Um, yes, but they replaced the actual actor's voice. Did you know the actress for Sylvia Trench apparently is also dubbed by another woman for some reason? Really? Yeah, I think I heard so. Hmm. Which is weird because I'm pretty sure she's like fluent in English. It makes sense with the main Bond girl because the actress is Italian and maybe they were like, eh, her English isn't good enough. Well, she's also trying, they try to have her speak in a Russian accent. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah, I wondered that because it doesn't match up. Um, it's, it's an interesting film. Um, it's probably the most... It's probably the one everyone thinks of when they think Bond. Yeah. Well, that and Goldfinger. 
Gold Probably. Goldfinger's a big one. I mean, I yeah. don't think people think Moonraker. <laughs> Bond. Or even Thunderball and Bond. Yeah, I would I would say most people would say like Goldfinger set the gold standard, so to speak. Yes. And this is and I think they see the first two movies as like pre Bond Bond. Yeah. I could see that, but this one feels the most spy, the the most like a spy movie. Absolutely, because they followed the book close. Yeah, and Goldfinger. When we get to that, I'll just say it now. Still, kind of feels like a spy movie. But yeah, when we get to Thunderball, it's kind of downhill in my opinion, in some regards, but we'll get to that when we get there. All right. Um, it, I like that this is another small adventure film. Yes, absolutely. And that It's so nice because we live in a world where the world does not enough exists, and they said, huh, I guess we can do that for now on. James Bond swimming on, uh, deep in the ocean to get from one end of a submarine to another. When he becomes a superhuman? <laughs> yeah. Oh, And then they decide Denise Richards can act. Oh, don't even <laughs> remind me of that. Oh, gosh. But I, I would say it is small scale, but it feels bigger than Dr. No. And I would say that's the thing with the 60s Bond. Each movie, like, tries to be bigger than the last one. Which kind of becomes its downfall with You Only Live Twice, for me, a little bit. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, well, that's because the budgets kept getting bigger. Yeah, so From Russia With Love was double, double the budget of Dr. No. And you can tell. Oh yeah, definitely. Far more extras. And bigger, larger set pieces, but like, like I said, it's it's a it's a smaller scale film, and it's for the benefit. I mean, the climax of the film is a boat chase, and oh yeah, it's a boat chase that is very very small, like low budgety. Yeah, but it's still great. Especially because they are, like, real boats and real explosions and stuff. And they're literally having stunt people jump over fire. Yes, and yeah. someone, I'm pretty sure I saw it, actually burned his hand. Not surprising. I mean, the I watched a video on the amount of people who have gotten horribly injured making these films over the decades. Ooh. I mean, Daniel Craig gets injured every single one of his films. Ouch. I mean, he got... I think in Casino Royale, he got some of his teeth knocked out. Ooh. Yeah, but there was a guy, we'll get to this when we talk about, I think it was Thunderball, but a crew member got horribly injured during that. Mm. Um, but I love that Bond is able to shoot a helicopter out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one moment that just makes me, it just cracks me up. In this film, yeah, um, but that that was re really a great sequence. The guy is in the helicopter, is trying to throw like a grenade down, uh -huh. and Bond just shoots him in the shoulder, and the guy drops the grenade in the in, in, the, the, heli in the helicopter. Yeah, and the other guy is like, "Oh no, pick it up, throw it out," and then it explodes and kills them. And then it's a terrible blue screen effect where they're Bond and. Uh, and Tanya are um, in front of in front of the explosion. <laughs> Where we couldn't put them in front of the real explosion. Yeah, well, obviously. Um, but we're I think we're neglecting the book a bit here. Yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to talk about, go deeper into the beginning of the book. Because right. it is, we're, we're introduced to the muscle of the film, of, of the story. Our, our psycho killer who's just literally we go into his backstory of how he, he he went from strangling like people's pets to strangling random women 
Yeah. And, and then he became part of the military and then defected to the Russians just because he wanted to kill more people. Yes. And then he's picked up by Schmash. Yeah, and he has a thing with the moon. Yeah, he's like he's a psych he's psychotic and he has like this obsession with he has to kill um on full moons because he gets like sexually off on that which is yes. super and he, freaky weird yeah and he loses completely control and i think the russians even say oh they let him do like executions in prisons at that time mm -hmm. as a reward yeah and we we are introduced to rosa club who's an, an who's absolutely disgusting in the book yeah, and she has. They tone it down a little. That's my. That's one of my uh, negative points of the movie. But I understand why they tone down her creepiness. Yes, and her way. The book makes it pretty clear she's a lesbian. Yes. Yeah, because there's one scene. I don't even want to go into detail because I, I remember it. It's, it reads so disgusting. Well, it, it's so. I want, I want to make this clear to people, a disclaimer. These books are very, Fleming's books are very much the 50s. Because I was on Goodreads the other day because I just finished, I had just finished Thunderball and I was doing, looking at reviews and stuff and everyone, there are a ton of people who are like, wow, these books are, are super misogynistic. They're super racist. There's these super things. And it's like, yes, yes, they are. Very much so. They are products of the 50s and what was okay to say in Britain. Not necessarily mm -hmm. in America, and especially with Live and Let Die, which we'll get to. They actually make a point in saying that Bond can't say certain things mm -hmm. in that. But, like, yeah, uh, Fleming's ideas on how we'll get to this in goldfinger too yes but i mean in this case i think it's okay because yes. rosa clap is pretty much just presented as like a psycho yes and the way i mean it's still somewhat in the film yes when she tries to come onto uh tanya yes but very much toned down she's just creepily creepily touching her in the film and in the book she do you want to talk about it? What she does? And she, no. No, I really yeah. don't, actually. Th this is one of those things where I, I let the reader figure that out, but just, just warn you, these books get really, really dark. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, and the whole manipulation of Tanya is... Interest. She's a, she's one of my favorite uh, Bond girls of this era. You feel oh, absolutely. you feel really bad for her because she doesn't know, especially in the book. She doesn't under she's not told that she's working for Smash or uh, Spectre or fully. I, I think she's told she's working for Smash. Yeah, she is, but, but she doesn't know the whole plan. She thinks she's supposed to go with Bond to England and just give the English people false information. When really she's, she's there to humiliate the, the British by, um, they, in the book, it's she and Bond hook up and they're photographed. Uh, yeah. And in the movie, there's a dirty film made. I'm pretty sure the book also says that they are filmed. I think it was just pictures. Because Could you have be. to you have to think fifties camera. How would you sneak that in? They're humongous. Uh, true, true. Um But that scene with the mirror. Yes. I love that in the book it's just two random henchmen. Yes. In the film it's actually Rosa Klepp standing there smoking a cigarette. Yes. And I love in the they keep up is this, I think this is the only time Smash is mentioned in the movies. Except for, like, Living Daylights, which men mentions the whole name. Yes. And that's probably Timothy Dalton wanted that in there. Uh, probably. Um, 
but it's so i mean looking at the whole franchise all the 24 25 movies this is like the only time the fleming bad guys actually appeared and it kind of feels off looking back it's good it happened early on yeah can you imagine if from russia with love say happened after you only live twice oh yeah i get what you mean yes it, it would have been wonky but I love that they're like Rosa Club has defected to Sme- uh, to uh, Spectre in the film. Yes, because and that's interesting because obviously the producers made it clear from Doctor No onwards they didn't want to have the Russians at the ba- as the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And so, well, how do you adapt from Russia with Love and keep the title and everything makes sense? And in the book, it's simply Smash doing this stuff as revenge. In the film, it's Spectre manipulating both the Russians and the British. And Rosa Klepp was part of Smirsch, but defected to Spectre. And I, I'm going to do a little uh, a little spoilers here for the books to understand how, why Smirsch is so mad at Bond. Yes. So in Casino Royale in the book, Bond is technically saved by a Shmesh agent and he's marked as in the next time he sees an agent of Shmesh, he's going to be killed and this is after he's been horribly tortured and he's like he has no stamina to even like fight this dude yep so in when in live and let die he is sent to take out a Shmesh agent and he does and then in moonraker we find out that our main villain is actually an agent of Smash as well. And he foils the plans of Smash again. And so by the time we're, we get to From Russia with Love, they Smash is furious at Bond. And they want to make the British government look bad and also get their revenge on Bond. So Yes, because it starts with, oh, we need something to embarrass like the British. And then they bring up Bond, and then they are like, "Oh, that's a nice bonus." Yes, because they don't. Well, they don't want Bond to just die. They have to. Have, yeah. They want a whole scandal. Which, and when Spectre does it with the, uh, what's the coding machine called? Lector. The lector. But in the book, but in the book, it's called a Spector. That's right. They had to change it because, for obvious reasons. Yeah. I for, I totally forgot that it was called that. I just remember there was a coding machine in the book too. That that's how they they in, they entice M to take the case, and then Bond's enticed by Tatiana, uh, Tatiana Romanov or Tanya for short. Um, who they make this whole thing of she's she saw Bond's picture in the files and she's fallen madly in love with him. I love how in the book, especially, M is just really awkward during this conversation. Yes. And of course we get in the book some callbacks to Diamonds Are Forever, the previous book. Yes, because um, Tiffany Case and Bond have broken up. Which that was, out of all of them, because um, I'll talk about this more in the what we're reading at the end. But I just finished Spy Who Loved Me. And up to that point, there's only been one mention of, oh, Bond and like Bond thinking about what happened and why the falling out happened between him and a Bond girl. Mm-hmm. This is the only time where we're told, like, oh, she decided she had to be alone. Which yeah. makes sense when we get to Diamonds Are Forever and the uh, terrible characterization of her character in the movie. Yeah. Because that film really irritates me. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of anything else really. Yeah, so what's interesting, the stuff in Istanbul, what is added? Okay, so for the most part, it is book accurate. It takes the scenes like the gypsy camp, um, this like secret tunnel with the water and the reds. Yes. Undergrounds, the bomb that yes. explodes on Karim Bay's desk, which in the book happened before Bond arrives. 
Yes. But in the film, it happens while Bond is already there. Which is a funny little scene with his, like, mistress. Yeah. Karen Bay is really so awesome. And it it's a shame because it set the trend of Bond gets a really cool ally that you want to see more of, only for him to be killed off later. Yes. Even in the books, but, it's that way, too. Yeah, that's true. But for scenes that are added, um, Tanya stealing the decoding device. Mm-hmm. That whole scene is not in the book. No. I don't even remember how... She just has it, right? Yeah. I mean, they are in on it. The people she works with there. They just give it to her, she walks out, and there it is. Yes. And what's also added in... So, we need to talk about the whole Orient Express thing first. Oh, yeah, they're on the Orient Express. Um, famous train from back in the day. Hmm? And they're not in the film, and I'm completely okay with that. Uh, but I will say, that fight on the train... It's awesome. It's the best Bond fight ever. Really ever? In my opinion, yes. Because it's the one that feels the most real. And it was really irritating at Spectre when they redid that. Oh, yeah. With, uh, oh gosh, Batista. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that was still a good part in a bad film in Spectre. Yeah, it's one of the better parts of that film, but that film's terrible. Um... The more I talk to you, the more I can't stand that film. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good. Um, Making you hate Spectre. <laughs> um, yeah. But but here, with the fight, it's so... The build-up is amazing. Well, first of all, we find Q takes... First time Q is there. As the, Q. Like the real Q, played by Desmond Llewellyn. Yes, instead of him being called what he his character was in the Fleming novels. Like he was yeah. in Doctor No. Yeah, and apparently the director Terence Young, at first he insisted the guy from Doctor No and Desmond Llewellyn's character are supposed to be different characters. So they call him like the guy in Doctor No was called the Armorer, Major yes. Boothroyd, and Desmond Llewellyn here is like called the Equipment Officer. But in the credits, he is credited as Boothroyd. <laughs> so I don't know what the hell was going on. No, I don't know. It's it is what it is. But this is Bond's first real gadget, which he also has in the book, by the way, and I absolutely love it. Yes, it is so practical. Um, because especially when we get like I, I've said before, when we get in the Roger Moore era and the the Bond gadgets, they just get ridiculous because yeah. it what it is it's a briefcase that if you don't open it properly tear gas shoots out it has a bun it has a secret pockets for ammunition and uh gold bullion i think it's bullion is the currency in it sovereigns oh, so- sovereigns my bad um and it has a knife in it that can pop out you can stab yeah. someone it's a throwing knife and everything in the case is used yes which is so nice we also get an ar7 rifle which by the way have you you've never shot an ar7 rifle i have nope they're really cool i've never mm-hmm. shot one in 25 caliber because 25 caliber basically doesn't exist anymore in america I shot one mm-hmm. in 22 but there are there are cool little rifles. They're uh they're sur- they're called survival rifles. Hmm. I, I do believe back in the World War Two, the Japanese invaded Alaska, and they gave the native uh the the Eskimo people those rifles. <laughs> well, they gave them no no. What they did was they gave them twenty two pistols, and I think it was. M1s, and they just said use the 22 on people and the M1 for everything else because it was more likely they were going to kill bears with them. 
It's Alaska. Oh. I don't know what the Japanese were thinking in invading Alaska. There's nothing there. But, but yeah, the 22 has been considered like a survival caliber, and the 25 is just slightly bigger. Hmm. It's just, it's not a popular thing anymore. Like the Beretta 25. The a lady's of, weapon. A lady's weapon. Yeah, this we get to talk about that in this book. This is the last time that Bond get in the book gets to use his Beretta. Yes, yeah. his, his gun of choice. It's not the last time he gets to use the nineteen eleven. Mm-hmm. He uses that later. I do believe, in the short stories in For Your Eyes Only. Mm-hmm. I think in one of those he uses a nineteen eleven. But this is the first time that he's using the Walther Walther PPK in this. And they don't even mention it. Which is nice, because it's already established. Yes, but he was shooting the Walther PP in Dr. No. I think I brought this up, because I don't like the Walther PP's look. It looks goofy. Hmm. It's just a longer PPK. And the, the way they want, I when I say longer, the barrel's longer. Um, I just find it to be an ugly looking gun. I really do. Hmm. Whereas the PPK to me looks elegant. Okay. Just personal preference. The, All right. That this is the first time we get the PPK in a film. A, a gun that would stay for a very long time in the Bond films. Yes, it did. And then come back. Kind of. Hmm. But, yeah, I love the train. I love the train scenes. They just feel, like, espionage especially when Kareem and, uh, and Bond will go out in the hallway and they'll look around and then they'll talk to each other. Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. And one change from the book. In the book... There are three Russian agents on board. Yes. And in the film, it's only one. Yes. Which they have to take out. Yes. And Karam um, tells, he's like, you want to hear my life story? <laughs> yeah, that's the best ending to a character ever. Like, that's the last time we see him. And I... he, he ends with such a nice moment. Yes. And then our, uh, our, um, Spectre agent kills him. Kills them oh, both. Oh yeah, Red Grant. Because Red in Grant. the book, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be that they killed each other. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It, it It's sad. It's a sad, sad time. Yeah. But I think this works very good in the film, making Red Grant even more threatening as a bad guy. One thing I wanted to mention for the for the film is when uh, Bond does, is like, oh yeah, you're a smash agent. He's like, no, you're worth Spectre. And the realization, some of the best Sean Connery acting. Yes, that scene was really good. And, and then it all clicks into place. Yeah, But really, this whole scene, just with Red Grant and Bond talking... Yes. And you really get the feeling this is like Bond talking to a evil version of himself. Yes. Which they tried later on to do to replicate, but Red Grant is so perfect in this. Yes. Um I I love in the book the helplessness that Bond has. Oh yeah, because in the film there's obviously the payoff with the case mm-hmm. he got in the book. He's asleep and he gets, you know, waken up by Red Grant, and he, Bond doesn't have his gun. He doesn't have anything. He doesn't even have this case, and no tear gas that explodes in the book. Yes. And Red Grant in the book actually shoots him. Yes. And the only reason he's saved is because he, his cigarette case is like. He put it at like his chest, mm-hmm. and I think he Red Grant shot dead. Yes, and, and Bond pretended to fall over and be dead, and then attacked from behind. Yeah, 
Um, uh, it, it's just it's they're both very satisfying fights. Yeah, I mean it's also funny in the book because Red Grant isn't just using a gun; he's using like a a book. He's using War and Peace, which has a gun built into it. Yeah, that's right. And Bond at the end kills him with the War and Peace book that shoots him. Um, I love the Rosa Klebb fight in the book. Mm -hmm. At the end. I like it more than the film. The film, it was just like we have to have it on a good, uh, on a good note. At the end of this film, Bond triumphs over Rosa Klebb when she has a poison knife come out of her shoe to try to poison Bond, and Bond fights her with a chair, which happens in the, the book as well. Yeah, which, which I'm, I must say, at first, I was like, oh, this is kind of goofy. Mm -hmm. But by now, I, I really love this scene against Rosa Klebb. And what I also like, in the book, the poison knife only shows up at the end with Rosa Klebb. Yes. Here in the film, we actually get some setup. And we have to talk about Kronstein. Yes. I <laughs> which, love which is something I like. I love that they kept the chess game in. Yes, that's a great scene. Yes, and the way they adapt it for Spectre. Minus all those fish getting killing each other. That was unpleasant to watch. Yep. Only in the 60s would that happen. Mm -hmm. And then the cat ate the fish. Yeah. So... Kronstein is also a character in the book, but he's only at the, you know, at the beginning when they are making this plan. In the film, he's also the, you know, the head behind the whole plan to get Bond and the Lector machi machine. Mm -hmm. But he actually gets an ending, which is there to show what a ruthless villain Blofeld is. Yes. How do you like this Blofeld? I fuck. I was about to swear. <laughs> I really, I really, really love Blofeld in this. Uh, I, I, the voice threw me off at first. You know what it, it reminds me of? In the original version of Empire Strikes Back, what the Emperor looks like? Oh, yeah. I kind of oh. like that Emperor. Kind of? Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. It's weird. Yeah, but I must say... It became like a cliche how he looks, how he acts. It's just like this faceless guy sitting in a chair. You never see how he really looks like. You just see his cat and his hands and stuff. Yeah, he's he's Dr. Claw from uh, Inspector Gadget. Yeah, and I really love it. it. It's this wonderful mystery because, and that's another thing, Spectre, the organization, gets built up with each movie in the 60s up until You Only Live Twice, which is kind of the big climax to that storyline. Yes. With Dr. No, obviously, the, the Dr. No himself is a member of this organization and Bond learns about Spectre for the first time. Mm -hmm. This now is a revenge against Bond for the events in Dr. No, for the killing of the Doctor. And now we get to see more of Spectre and actually see this number one. He isn't, he's never called Blofeld in the film, only in the credits. Oh, is he called Blofeld in the credits? Yeah, he's called Blo Ernst Blofeld, and there is no actor who plays him. There's just a question mark instead oh, of an actor. That's fun. Yep. Do we? Do you know who even who did the voice? I think I know who pl who played the buddy, but I don't know who did the voice. The voice is great. Oh yeah. It, it, it's honestly, it sounds like what I envision Blofeld sounding like in Thunderball. Oh. In the book of Thunderball. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't picture Donald Pleasance. Yeah, that, Which, that's not really possible with the book version. No. <laughs> God, which which is something we should talk about now that you have read Thunderball, which was the first appearance of Blofeld in the books. Mm -hmm. What do you think book original Blofeld compared to this movie especially? Uh, they're very different in a lot of ways. Um, there's, there's this, it's hard to explain with book Blofeld and we'll talk about it more when we get to the Blofeld trilogy and the films, 
that of yeah. that trilogy that aren't a trilogy in the film universe. Yeah, it's kind of frust- it's kind of frustrating, especially because two out of the three are really good in my opinion. Okay, I don't okay. know which two, but uh, that's fine. Save it. Save it. All right, all right. Because I haven't read two of the three of them yet. All right. Uh, so, uh, I there's this earnestness to Blofeld in the books. Mm-hmm. This evil honesty, I think is the word I'm going for. And this matter mm-hmm. of fact, like, we don't, we don't tolerate this. You're going to die. Simple thing. Um, mm-hmm. I'll talk about that more when we t- get to Thunderball because there's yeah. characterization that I don't remember uh, from number two in Thunderball that's in the film. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, um, any closing thoughts for from Russia? Um, so I would say the villains overall, pretty damn great cast. Yes. All of them are really fantastic and stand out. We have Blofeld, Kronstein, Rosa Klepp, and Red Grant. And that's a question I wanted to ask. Who do you think is the main villain? I don't think there really is a main villain in From Russia with Love, the film. I think it's Spectre. Yes. Because Spectre would... is beyond like the individual. That's their whole thing. Yep. Because I would say if I think of like From Russia with Love and I think, oh, the bad guy in that one, I would think of Red Grant simply because he really stands out the most out of them. Yeah, but they're... I don't, I don't know. In the book, it's just like, it's Smash. Smash once again. Yep. You know, and it's fine. It's perfectly fine. Um, it's just a, what a cliffhanger of an ending. Yeah, did we even go in detail with that? We talked about it last in the last episode, but yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. What was the what was his friend's name though that shows up in the book of From Russia oh, with Love from Casino? Rene Mephis. Yeah. Who it, also showed up in Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace for the first time. Is he? He's not in the novel of Quantum of Solace. Yes. Uh, no, no, no. That's a short story. A short story. Mephis, he's like. Uh, French intelligence, I think. Yes. Yes, he's in Casino Royale, and then he shows up again here in the book. Yes, and this is, I think, the last time we we see him in the books. Uh, yes, unless you count Doctor No when they say, "Oh, Mephis saved Bond's life." At well, the end of that, that's a me- that's a reference, not a. Uh, yeah. It's not there. Yeah, but otherwise, this is Mephis' last appearance. Yeah. Which is a shame. We, they're friends, and they're set up as friends. We'll talk about this more in Casino Royale, but mm-hmm. um, there we never really get to see them in action together. It, it it's it's one of my few complaints with Fleming's Bond books as a whole. And granted, I have a few more left before I can fully comment on that. But like, there's certain characters where uh, we'll say like Felix Leiter, for instance. And mm-hmm. Bond will always talk about like, oh, we had such great adventures, and it's like live and let die. The second book, when he's horribly mangled by sharks, yeah. And then, yeah. like, we've had such great adventures together. It's like you've had one. Well, I mean, to be fair, Casino Royale, Live and Let Die, and Diamonds Are Forever, before you know, from Russia with Love, and later but, on. But they start talking about that in Live and Let Die, and referring to it as that in Live and Let Die. Oh really? Yeah. Ah uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Then it then it's only Casino Royale. Yeah, but. and it's like, did Fleming mean to like write some short stories that took place between the first two books and that never happened? I don't know. I think Fleming's original idea was to kill Felix off in the second book. Mm-hmm. We will talk about that more because that is important for Live and Let Die and License to Kill. Yes. Because the the shark disagreed with something. Well, he disagreed with something that ate him. Yeah. Um, so what would you give from Russia with Love as a rating? Both of them. It's got to be a 10 out of 10. Like for me, this is like the definition of a Bond film. 
Yeah, I would give it 4.8 out of 5 stars, the film. The, the book, I give a 5 out of 5. And the reason I give a little, I take a little off in the film is technical problems. Oh, we forgot to talk about John Barry's score. We need to talk about it. Yes, it is the archetype of how good a Bond store, score can be. Because we talked about it in the last episode. I don't like Dr. No's score. I just don't care for it. It's not that great, in my opinion. Like I said, I find it okay, but the score in this one is is really damn good. They just remastered it and put it on 180 grain vinyl, Noah. It sounds so beautiful. Which reminds me of something. Um, the opening credit song, it's like an instrumental version of the title song Which the ti- by Matt Monroe. Yes, and I, I think the title song is not, is fine. The Matt Monroe one? Yes. Yeah, I think so. What I like uh, is it's actually played in the film on the radio at the beginning yes. when we first see Bond. I love it. And then it comes back at the end and closes out the film. Yes. Um... Yeah. So tell me, Noah, what star, what uh, I almost said, what Star Wars books are you reading? What what Double O Seven books are you reading right now? I know you just finished your reread of From Russia with Love. Right, and you know what else I have already read again? What's Goldfinger. It? Ooh, okay. Yeah, I'm already excited for the next episode. I I'm pretty sure I will I will forget everything from the book until we record this. Oh, God. do do we talk about uh, I I won't give a full review of the spy who loved me, but Noah, it's the second worst book I've ever read. Oh, that's pretty harsh. Uh, the House on Mango Street is the worst book I've ever read in my entire life. Just an unbearable book of misery. This was mm-hmm. a close second. And um, I'll save that for a, a later time because I really, I really don't want to get into this after we've had such a great time on here. <laughs> but yeah, I, I had to take a break though. And oh, reading other things before I jump into On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I have to catch up on paper movies. Is one of the big things. All right, mine. <laughs> um, I mean. Majesties is one of the absolute best. I know. Oh, and I'm yeah. looking forward to it, but uh, I have to get paper. I haven't. I'm like a like maybe a quarter of the way through paper movies, and I think we're recording next week. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you definitely need to catch up. Plus, there was a on. We were a little inside baseball here. We were actually talking about recording a couple of them at once. Hmm. Which, if you if you know if you know Matthew. It's going to be a lot of hate and acrimony to get the uh, video to look correct. But anyway, hope you all have a great time reading and watching from Russia with love. We both highly recommend both. Absolutely. And join us next month when we talk about Goldfinger. Ooh. So have a good one. Goodbye.